Hey, it's Matt Bovee from It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. This NFL offseason, we can fit 25 hours in a day, and that's because of podcasts that make you more productive. When you're folding laundry, paying bills, making omelets, or any other tasks that you've got to get done, listen while you work. Do your chores and be entertained all at the same time. It's all about the bills, the news, insight, analysis, and of course, some jokes too, on demand, so it fits into your busy schedule. Follow the It's Always Game Day in Buffalo podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills, all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in Buffalo. Breaking news, breaking news. At the start of the podcast, as we get you ready for the Dolphins game, the Pro Bowl rosters have been announced. Hello, everybody. Matt Bovee, Sal Capaccio with you on another episode of It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. We will just briefly talk about the Pro Bowl because it's a joke, and then we will get on to yeah. the actual thing that most people want to talk about. We can tell you there are two Pro Bowlers from the Buffalo Bills that have been selected. Those two players are James Cook and Deion Dawkins. This has nothing to do with James Cook and Deion Dawkins being selected as Pro Bowlers. Good for them, both having exceptional seasons, very well deserved. There is no planet that exists where Josh Allen is not a Pro Bowler. It makes no sense whatsoever. But that's just my opinion, Sal. Am I crazy? No, of course you're right. But he was a first alternate, so... Just to put yeah. in context, right, just to put in context, they weren't the only two players selected. They were only two yes. players who selected to start or to be yeah. a part of the original team, I guess. But you're right. I mm-hmm. agree with you 100%. Josh Allen, of course, should be in the Pro Bowl. But we could go down the list and say, how is that Oliver a third alternate? Are you kidding me? He it's might ridiculous. be all this year. And maybe, to me, the biggest snub, I love that word, <laughs> might be linebacker Terrell Bernard. Not yeah, even a I fifth know. alternate. I know it just doesn't make sense, but that's why the pro bowl is dumb. And that's why people skip it and they pay no attention to it. And Josh Allen would rather play in the pro-am at Pebble beach. Like rightfully so I totally get it. So listen no game anymore anyway, really, right? They just all skills competitions. They do. Yeah. It's like that skills competition. They play a flag football game, which is probably honestly more exciting and enjoyable yeah. than an actual pro bowl game in years past. But whatever the three quarterbacks for the AFC are Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Tua. I think absolutely Lamar Jackson has earned a spot. I think you could even say Tua has as well. Patrick Mahomes gets in because he's Patrick Mahomes. He's not having that historically, by his standards, a, straight, a great season. I know the talent around him is way worse than he's used to, but, I mean, it's just because his name is Patrick he, You can be the best player in the entire league and the most valuable player in the entire league most times and also not be worthy of a Pro Bowl nod, and I feel like that's the case for Mahomes this year. If you're building a team, he would still be the guy that you take number one. Every GM would say the exact same thing, probably, but it's just because he's Patrick Mahomes. All right, switching Well, gears. before you do that, I want to switch gears real quick. Yeah. I'd also like to say that I think I've settled on the fact that Lamar Jackson should be the MVP this year. 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that if Josh would have had a really big game and then mm-hmm. if they ultimately end up winning the division, I would have been willing to absolutely have that conversation. I think, though, the body of work, the fact that Lamar, I mean, the team is so good, but he was also so dynamic in that Dolphins game. So I feel like the conversation was close and then he kind of just separated himself. Yeah, and I, I guess I could reserve, you know, well, well, if Josh throws for 405 touchdowns, I might change my mind, but I'm okay with Lamar Jackson being named or voted whatever over mm-hmm. Josh Allen, if that's the case. And I still think Josh could have a case for MVP, but we talked about it last podcast, so I just wanted to kind of throw it out there that I think that Lamar Jackson, after his performance against Baltimore and what he's done this year, I have zero issue whatsoever with him being named MVP, and I would probably vote for him. Yeah. Do you have a Pro Bowl vote? Or an vote. MVP vote, excuse me. Okay. I don't get it. I don't get it. No, it's, I guess it would just be AP, right? AP voters, I think. That's it. I don't know. I don't exactly know who gets this the vote. The, I think it's that. the AP MVP. Either way, I don't have a vote, but hey, maybe someday. Um, But that's what I would do there. Anyway, go ahead and switch gears to what you wanted to. Well, so we're out at Bills practice today. It's Wednesday. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, so a couple days ahead of the Bills and Dolphins massive matchup. And I feel like for the Bills... They're pretty healthy going into this game. You know, it was all status quo. I know some people have wanted to know about Josh Allen. It looks like he's going to play. It sounds like he's going to play. He said all of that, that he was good to go. Sean McDermott echoed those same comments. You, of course, last week got Daquan Jones back. You got Micah Hyde back. You got AJ Epinesa back. For the Dolphins, it's a very different story. Sal, they are really, really banged up going into this game. And I know Wednesday is not the greatest indicator because a lot could change on Thursday and Friday. But most of the big name guys we're talking about, we kind of already know are not going to play. That's right. Um, They are dealing with a lot of injuries. And this is a great opportunity, unfortunately, due to injury because you don't want to see guys hurt, but it's a part of football and it happens. And because of that, the Bills will, to me, have a really great opportunity to go against an undermanned Miami Dolphins team here that also, this could also play into the Bills' hands a little bit. Miami's already in the playoffs, so their thought process might even be to dial back if a guy's close. For Jalen Waddle, for example, like Jalen Waddle on Wednesday was listed as a non-participant. They had a walkthrough. Mm-hmm. But Mike McDaniel said, we're going to see how it goes this week. Like He didn't dismiss him from playing. My thought mm-hmm. is, if they were in the Bills' situation and had to win maybe, maybe he plays. They're already in the playoffs. Maybe the guy's iffy, he doesn't play. So I think that that also probably plays into all of this. Yeah, so I think the big ones, obviously, you mentioned Jalen Waddell, Raheem Mostert, and Baker. Those are the three guys who I think are kind of up in the air of are they going to play or are they not going to play. I feel like from just the sense that I got last week, Mostert was the closest to playing, so that makes me think that he's the most likely to probably be available this weekend. But the big ones, of course, are you already know they're without Jalen Phillips. Now they're without Bradley Chubb, which is just a massive injury for them. And it does not sound like Xavier Howard is going to be available either. So that means that you're going to have a lot of Jalen Ramsey featured, but you're also going to have Eli Apple out on the field. And those guys, not Jalen Ramsey, gave up perfect passer ratings to Lamar Jackson on Sunday when the Ravens absolutely dismantled them. That stat is from Marcel Louis Jacques, who I think was on GR with you guys. He was on our show on Tuesday night. So, you know, obviously he's very familiar with these two teams and he made it incredibly clear. Like the secondary is a big concern for the Dolphins without Howard. And for as good as Ramsey is, we're going to find out, is Vic Fangio going to move him all over the field or is he going to just play aside? And if he just plays aside, then do you just attack the other side and take the opportunities whenever they're available 
at actually Ramsey. So they're banged up, and it's kind of coming for them at the worst time because these injuries have all happened in the last month or so. And if he does move around, I assume what you mean is, is he moving around with Stefan Diggs, right? I mean, yes, so if, that's exactly. the case, if that's the case, then, I mean, look what happened last time. Gabe Davis had a big game in week four against them. Um, the Bills will go to their secondary option if that's the case and, you know, somebody else is, you know, uh, being covered so uh, by somebody else. So on Marcel and on Raheem Mostert, I agree with you. It seemed like Mostert was the closest, but Marcel told us on WGR that he really wasn't that close. He said what happened was earlier in the week, Mike McDaniel <laughs> was kind of predicting and maybe even trying to speak into existence, I guess, you know, that he could be ready to play. Yeah. But by the end of the week, he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like he wasn't ready to play. So he missed on Wednesday. I don't know if Raheem Mostert's going to be able to play. So we'll see where that goes. And I would also note, Tua Tungavailoa is a little bit banged up. He hurt his yeah. shoulder last week, and he's already dealing with a thumb injury on top of mm -hmm. that from, from several weeks ago. Yeah. Who would you say of the guys that we have mentioned would be the biggest boost for Miami if they're able to play? We're, we won't obviously count the guys who we know are going to be out, but if you put Waddle, Mostert, and Baker kind of all into a pot, which would you say would be the biggest boost for them? For me, it's probably Waddle. Well, I would say Waddle if he'd be healthy. Even if he plays, I don't think he's going to be healthy. I don't think he's going to yeah. be the guy that's you're, – to me, like a healthy Waddle would make a huge difference, but I can't see that. Sure. I think it could be Baker because of what they're dealing with in the secondary. But, yes, I agree with you if he was super healthy. But I would also say this, Matt. I think the, what what's the path to victory for the Dolphins in this game? It might be to lean on their running game a little bit more to keep the ball uh -huh. away from Josh Allen. And I know that sounds weird because it's the Dolphins and they have this, they throw it all over the field, maybe get a few plays down the field in the passing game, but rely on that run game. And then if Mostert is healthy, I think that changes the equation. But I would also mention D Devon Achan missed practice as well. He's dealing with it. Yeah. I think he missed unless he might've been limited, but anyway, he's dealing uh, with He was injuries. limited. He was limited with a toe injury go. and a rib yeah. injury. I mean, their, their list is, uh, oh, and, Teron Armstead also did not practice. Oh, yeah. He's been dealing with injuries all year long. It feels like this is kind of status quo, though, that he'll miss an early day of the week and then eventually yeah. practice and come back out. But he actually was injured in the Bills game at the beginning of the year, came out, played the game, got injured, and then once again left and then missed several games after that. And then obviously Connor Williams was not available for that first game, but has since then been injured again and now out for the season. So you're talking about two guys on that offensive line. Isn't there another one? Didn't they have another offensive lineman yeah, who has missed was like Robert the entire? Huck, it was, um, yeah. yeah. But the other one I want to mention too is, um, oh, so really horrible situation at Tyreek Hill's house. You saw the fire. Oh, that's crazy. I can't believe we, I mean, yeah, it was just, that. just awful. And, you know, you hope that everybody's okay. It appears as though that is the case. Yeah. On top of that, and not to make anything like that's this more serious part, but they have video of Tyree Kill with his wife, and he's wearing a walking boot on his uh -huh. left foot. And right yeah. away, people are like, wait a minute, what's going on? He's got a walking boot. He appears on the injury report as limited for that by leaving early because he was limited, but also with an ankle injury, which goes back yeah. a few weeks. Well, that just also is more, I guess, proof that they are so bad. Everybody in some capacity is banged up at this point in the year, yeah. but to have your star wide receiver walking around in a walking boot, I think shows 
that the injury is something that's lingering. And even, I mean, Tyreek Hill is such an incredible player and athlete. He at 80, 90% is still better than probably 90% of the other people at his position, but it is still noticeable. You would, of course, as an opponent, rather get him at 80, 90% or 70%, whatever it is, as opposed to 100% fully healthy when he is just such a dynamic player. And when you think about his game, it's all speed. Right. And if you're walking around in a walking boot, chances are you're not able to run at 100 percent speed like you might normally be able to. Well, that is from the Dolphin side of things. How about from the Bills? Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. All right, so first thing, Matt, on Wednesday, the Bills announced that they would not activate wide receiver Justin Shorter. He -hmm. is going to stay on injured reserve for the rest of the year. Now, you know, he's not a guy that's contributed or helped in any way, but of course, the immediate reaction from many fans is, I can't believe he can't be better than Trent Sherfield. I can't believe he can't be better than than Deontay Hardy. I can't believe they wasted a fifth-round pick. Can we please pump the brakes a little bit here? Okay. What? Justin, it'd be, it would be great if Justin Shorter, if we knew he could step on the field as a fifth-round pick and just be amazing right away. Mm-hmm. Folks, he's been on injured reserve all year. He's had literally, literally three weeks of NFL regular season practices and zero, zero NFL game experience. This team needs to win, and they're, then they're yeah. hopefully going to be in the playoffs. What do you expect that this guy would actually be able to do? Now, don't tell me, well, you've got to be better than Sherfield or Hardy. No, he doesn't have to be actually no. better than Sherfield or Hardy. No. I, I think it's just a complete overreaction to go that route. Now, that said, it stinks for Justin Shorter that he can't play the rest of this year. It, it amounts mm-hmm. essentially to a redshirt year. But the Bills do mm-hmm. have some issues at wide receiver and in the passing game right now. So I understand that folks want <laughs> something more out of it. It would have been coaching malpractice to have somebody come back and be making their first NFL start in a game that the Bills absolutely need to win. And then if they do win, trying to figure things out as you go in the playoffs. That doesn't make any sense. And I know people are fed up with Trent Sherfield. I know people are fed up fed up with Deontay Hardy. And a lot of people don't understand the usage of Stefan Diggs, and that's something we can talk about too. But the answer is not bringing in a fifth-round pick who has not been available up until earlier this month and thinking that he's going to be a difference maker. I think back to... I don't know. There's been so many different times where these guys just take a little bit longer to get acclimated than you originally thought they were going to be. Wide receiver is one of those positions where it's hard. I know it's the concepts are pretty simple. It's like, well, go run your route or go find space or go get open. But 
the ability and the talent that these guys have. It's not as simple as that. So yeah, the, the Justin shorter discourse to me has been a little bit strange on social media. I just, it, it, it honestly caught me off guard. And I think the only reason I'm even thinking about Justin shorter is because of the social media comments about him potentially coming back. Yeah. I listen and ask yourself this. If you are one of the people I'm kind of talking about here, to think, oh my God, I can't believe it. He's got to be better. Why aren't they using this guy? I'd love to see him out there. He's got to help. Ask yourself this question and be honest, okay? What if they did that? What if they put Justin Shorter out there and got rid of, I don't know, Hardy or Sherfield, and Justin Shorter completely wasn't ready and made some huge mistake? Mm -hmm. Are you ready to admit that then saying, what, or would you be the first person to say, I can't believe they played that guy in this situation? You can't have it's, it both ways, right? I mean, no, it's it, no, and, and I, again, hey, and why the, the next question might be asked, why they open his, his window? Well, I could tell you why I would say, because you don't know if you're going to have an injury. And if you mm -hmm. do have to put him in, you don't want him just going in with three days of practice. At least he had a, a ramp up of three weeks. Also, Matt, they have Andy Isabella on the practice squad. He can be mm -hmm. elevated every single week during the postseason. They also have Tyrell yeah. Shavers on the practice squad, Tyrell Shavers. And I thought he looked good in preseason. He might be further along than Justin Shorter. Yeah, I also think that you brought up the practice squad. Is it, I don't want to assume anything, Leonard Fournette's going to play against Miami, right? Doesn't he just kind of have why, to? Why, why would he have to? He didn't play last week. I, which is a mistake. He should have played last week. I am I am totally on board if they decide that he starts instead of Leonard, not starts, but he gets the snaps that Latavius Murray was getting. Okay, I mean, Latavius but, but Murray. It's not about snaps. It's not about snaps. It's about roster management and numbers. So it, 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 this is not come down. I don't disagree with you. That yeah, like given one, I mean, one, you have what? a free. You have you have a free call up for the practice squad. What do you need Latavius Murray active on game day for? Hold on one second. Okay, it's not what you need. You have to put yourself in the situation of the team when you think about these. I'm not. I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I do. I totally understand it. Mm -hmm. Latavius Murray is an 11-year veteran who's a captain on this team who was signed for late season, being there, in the locker room, all of that. I think it would be an awful look in that locker room if they made him inactive for Leonard Fournette. Now, that said, they did that with Von Miller. So I, I guess going to literally just say they did it with Von Miller. <laughs> I know. I know. So you know what? Maybe I'll retract that a little bit, but I think that's why, Matt. I think that's why. It's also... Not that Latavius Murray's been horrible this year. He wasn't good last game. And no, there's been times no. where he's been decent. There's been times where he hasn't. Vaughn's been completely ineffective, right? Completely uh -huh. ineffective. So I think that's your answer. So it's not that it, if you're going to call him up, that's fine. But I still don't know where you have room for four running backs. Well, and I don't who, think you, you only, do. You, only I, get, you still only get 48 guys active. I understand that. I'm just saying, I don't think you need to have Latavius Murray and Leonard Fournette active. I don't think you have to have Latavius Murray active. In the last game, he had one target, which was a drop on third down, and one carry, which was third and one, and he failed to pick it up. And I understand that like, there have been times when he has made flash, I don't want to say splash plays. I feel like that's probably a little bit too excessive. At the beginning of the year, he looked like he had some juice, and he looked like he could be a viable option as a depth running back for this team. That has not been the case for several weeks now. Leonard Fournette is somebody who on big stages has performed. And even with only the small sample size we have, 
I trust him in those short yardage situations far more than I trust Latavius Murray because Latavius Murray has had multiple opportunities this year to pick up those short yardage situations and has not been able to do it. It's part of the reason why Josh has so many rushing yards because they're more confident with him inside the one or the two yard line than they are just turning around and handing it to a running back. And in the short term, that's fine. In the long term, though, it's probably not your best interest to continue to hammer your quarterback into five or six 300-pound guys when you could just have a running back do it. So if they're willing to sit Von Miller, which they are, and they obviously are trying to win games, why do you think they haven't done it? Um, That's a good question. I don't know. I'll give you one reason it could be possible, too. Sure. Maybe they don't trust him in pass protection, and Latavius Murray's really good there. Yep. That's fair. But I also think that this is an even bigger picture conversation of why can't James Cook just be on the field more, right? (laughs) Why can't, why can't Dalton Kincaid? I understand it's a pass protection thing, but one of them is an actual weapon in the passing game. And one of them really is not. So if it's for a strictly protection standpoint, but I don't know, I I know Kincaid finally outsnapped Knox in the last game, but since he came back, obviously, like why is James Cook not an 80% of snaps guy as opposed yeah. to, you know, splitting it up a little bit more? You are your most dangerous when he's on the field. He's a pro bowler. I know I just said the pro bowl is a joke, but like clearly he's got good numbers. Clearly he's productive. Well, on that note, you asked it earlier, so I'll ask you, why has Stefan Diggs' usage gone down? This is the great mystery we're trying to figure out. It's not just his answer. production. It's also his snap counts, which obviously has been a big talking point this week. Yeah, so I noticed, and I'm sure most people who are probably watching the game on TV, but when they came out of the half against the Patriots on Sunday, mm-hmm. I'm looking around and I'm like, where's Dix? It's like, where is he? It doesn't make sense. And then I look and he's standing there on the sideline and he's just standing by the heater and he's chit-chatting with people. He's talking to coaches. He's talking to other teammates. They move down the field. They get into the end zone. He was the first guy out on the field celebrating with them, but he did not play that drive. And that was not uncommon for the game. He only played what? 65% of the snaps you said it was not an insane it's not ridiculous when you look at the grand scheme of things because there's a lot of games where he gets around that like 75 80 70% snap count range but it's the snap counts and it's the production because we have not seen Stefan Diggs go off in what a month and a half two months seven targets for four catches in 26 yards that is imagine a year ago having a Stefan Diggs stat line like that. And we've now had it for like a month and a half in a row. That's right. He, there's something going on there. But I would add, if Josh Allen was a little more accurate on the deep ball, we're not having this conversation. Yeah, he would add 110 yards and a touchdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a good point. And, and, but I mean, his targets are a little down for him, but they're not like really bad. He still had 11 targets, I think, twice over the last over that time period. So double digits, excuse me, and then a seven and an eight, I think, in there if you look. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think some of this is on Josh. Where produ- the production part is on Josh a little bit. It's on Stefan. It's on Josh. It's on everybody. Fast protection. The usage is what's the mystery of why he's being taken off the field in situations where he normally would be on the field, even though maybe at the end of the day, I guess, like you said, you could look to the overall percentage, but you're right. I think it was six plays, actually, he missed in that mm-hmm. um, to start the half. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he went in right away. Oh, it was that yeah. first drive, first six plays. It was I the think first drive. Was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and the week before that, again, if Josh hits him 
on a deep ball over the top where he underthrew it. We're also not having this conversation, which is wild because to me, that's been part of the issue with this production is the quarterback. Yeah, I think so too. I, I've heard a couple people say like, oh, you want him fresh for the playoffs. Oh, you want him fresh for like late games. I think that's nonsense. This is the playoffs. If you really are buying into what they're saying, the last month has been a playoff game every time that they play. This is when you need him. And it's not like these last two games have been, okay, we know we're going to win by the fourth quarter and we're just going to give these guys some rest. Like they were playing to try and win a game against the Chargers and against the Patriots the last time they had the ball in their hands. So I still think that if they need a big play, Stefan Diggs is going to be the guy that they look for. We saw that in the Chargers game on a crucial third down. Josh rolls to his right, hits Diggs on the sideline for a really pretty play. I still think that's the guy they have the most trust in. But I also mm -hmm. think maybe there's something to be said about it's an easy conversation to say, why don't you force the ball to Diggs more, right? Because when he gets the ball, sure. he's your best producer. But I think sometimes when you're forcing the ball to him is also when we've seen Josh make those kind of head-scratching mistakes of why were you doing that? And I think that's what they are trying to avoid. So I think they're trying to stop forcing the ball to Diggs because they're also then not forcing the mistakes that they've had at other points this year. And that's why, even though they've still been a bit of a concern, they've been a little bit more... I guess they've been limited the last month or so. The interceptions have not been as big of an issue as they were for that middle part of the season. Also on Wednesday, we learned that no surprise, Russell Douglas defensive player of the week in the mm -hmm. AFC, very deserving, obviously for the game that he put together, but I think it just speaks to the overall point of, you know, how big of an addition he's been. And in this game, Again, you know, this is another game where the Bills are going to have to be you know, on top of things in their secondary with the way that Miami could throw the football, even without Waddle. Cedric Wilson's a good player. Tyreek Hill, obviously, with that kind mm -hmm. of speed. Um, now, Rasul Douglas isn't the kind of guy you're going to necessarily be shadowing around the field with on Tyreek Hill. But no. I'm, I'm, I'm confident in what I've seen from this guy. You know, the Bills didn't even have him the first time around. They no. had Tredavious White, obviously, got hurt in that yeah. game. But I really, I'm, 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 I'm so confident in seeing Rasul Douglas back there each and every week when it comes to the secondary right now. Yeah, the thing for me is with Rasul Douglas and obviously with the secondary, I feel like the secondary, even though it is not what it once was, well, the secondary as a whole, I think, has actually been pretty good. The yeah. safeties in particular, I think they've started to play a little bit better than they were for the middle portion of the season and early parts of the season. And to have... Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford, I think those are two viable options for you. Like, very could just be your starters next year, and I think you would be very okay with that. The safeties are the ones you got to figure out long-term, but right now you're absolutely okay with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. So for me, it's Tyreek Hill, obviously Tua. We don't know who's going to play. The thing that makes the Dolphins so effective offensively is how quick Tua is able to get the ball out of his hands mm -hmm. and how he can find those spots, and Tyreek Hill is such a freak athlete that he can get to those spots, and it's just completely timing. Well, if the offensive line is as banged up as it has been for the last several weeks and the Bills' defensive line is able to win their battles, that should be a recipe for the Bills' secondary to make some plays. And that's what Roswell Douglas has been able to do. Ed Oliver has been a freak. Leonard Floyd has been exceptional. Greg Rousseau has been really good. I mean, even Kingsley Jonathan and Puna Ford have been making plays the last couple weeks. So when you're getting those guys in a mismatch like they should have this week, that should allow the secondary to make a couple splash plays. And I think with the injuries here, if this is a game where the Bills win the turnover battle, I would be really surprised if they don't win. 
Like this is a game for me that if the Bills lose, it's because they turned the ball over and made mistakes. But if the Dolphins are doing that, then I think the Bills ultimately win. Uh, it's it's a great segue because you actually just stole. You already answered. You already is how good you are, Matt. You already answered oh, yeah. something I was going to ask you. It's always game day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove. All right, complete these answers. I'm going to steal this. Uh, Travis Wingfield. I was on his podcast for the Miami Dolphins. He asked me this. I'm going to ask you this. You ready? Okay, sure. The Bills win this game if they blank, or as long as they blank. As long as they don't make. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it differently. The Bills win this game if Josh Allen plays like Josh Allen. If Josh Allen has a Josh Allen game, they are winning this game. I do not need Josh Allen to have 400 yards and four touchdowns. But if Josh Allen has 300 total yards, three touchdowns, and one interception, they're going to win this game. The Bills lose this game if blank. They turn the ball over more than once. Mm, more than once. Well, it, to me, it would come down as long as you take it away then. But I agree. You got to take care of the ball. That to me is the number one thing. The Bills win this game. I'll say it the other way. I think the way I answered him was the Bills win this game if they don't turn the ball over. I think that's mm -hmm. the, that's the key there. I think the you can get away with one. I think you get away yeah. with one. He's had one every week. You know what's funny is I know. Josh has thrown one interception every week for the last whatever. He the last time he threw two was when Ken Dorsey was the OC against Denver. Every week after that, he's thrown one, and he's thrown what, what? three in week one. When was the interception against the Cowboys? Was it a Hail Mary? When was the interception against the Cowboys? Interception against it. It's a good question. I think I'm, I could. I think. Unless, I think I unless can am I remember? Am I? Am I? Did I read it wrong? Let me look. Go back and look. I thought he had one interception in every game, but I, I could be wrong. You. But I'm gonna go back. And I look. doubt you read it wrong. I've got it up right here. I just gotta find the game. Okay. I could. I could have. Maybe. Maybe he had zero. Zero or one. Let's see. No interception. Uh, no, he in didn't. Game. No, he was he, seven okay. of fifteen oh, oh, oh. for ninety-four That's right. yards. One TD, no interceptions. My apologies. Thank you. It still stands though. One mm -hmm. interception every game after the, yeah. except for that one after Dorsey and two in that game against Denver. It's wild. Mm -hmm. His game log of interceptions: three mm -hmm. zero one zero, one 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 two one 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 zero one one. It's amazing. I'm. I'm a sicko with some stuff. You know, there's a lot that I don't know about different, you know, aspects of football. I think I could go back and probably tell you every single one of those interceptions over the course of the year. And I could probably do most touchdowns too. But I think as I look back on the season, I could tell you like, okay, the yep. last game was a deep shot to Kincaid that they tried to force. The game before was the one where they underthrew Diggs on a deep shot yep. that if it was another yard, and I could just go down the line. But, um, yeah, sorry. I didn't I didn't mean to like disprove your point or anything. I just No, it's all good. I'm glad. Out. I'm glad. He he had he had one in every game except Dallas since the offensive coordinator change. He's had one. All right. So the way I said the I answered when I was on this podcast, Miami wins this game if I said if they get a few chunk plays, I think they're gonna need them in this game. The Bills don't typically give them up. And mm -hmm. I don't I think if you force Miami to go eight, ten plays, not a good recipe for them. I think Miami's going to mm -hmm. need to try to get a few chunk plays against the Bills in this one. Yeah, I think so too. If there's any team that can do it, it's probably them, especially if they also do have Jalen Waddle available. If they don't, I don't want to say it makes your life easier, but I think you would feel much better having to contain Tyreek Hill as opposed to having to contain Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. We've kind of seen it go back and forth when these teams have played, when Sean McDermott has gone up against Tua these last few years. There have been games where Tua has had big games and 
that, or excuse me, where Tyreek has had big games and then Jalen Waddle plays a little bit more of a backseat and then there's been vice versa. Like the late regular season game last year, I think Waddle and Tyreek had big games. And then in the playoff, Waddle had a couple crucial drops. They were playing with Skylar Thompson, so it was not, you know, as obvious. And then in the first game of the, so I think that it, that will make their lives a little bit easier if they're only dealing with one of those. But at the same time, you also cannot completely forget about trying to stop the run because they will gash you for yep. six, seven, eight yards a carry because that has been very effective for them. All right. We all know what's on the line in this game for the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins, the two seed. But there's actually more on the line for the Bills, possibly leading up to the game. We're going to know that by the time they kick right. off. We're going to mm-hmm. know if the Bills are going to be winning in, losing out, or if it's just, hey, they're already in and now it's for the number two seed. So, Let's think about what's happening in that Ravens-Steelers game on Saturday night. The Ravens have said they're not going to start Lamar Jackson. It'll be Tyler Hundley. They're going to play most of their reserves or backups. Now, that said, there's only 55 spots on a roster. So Mm -hmm. most of the guys playing, Matt, are guys that normally play in some capacity. So they'll have you know, NFL-caliber players out there, guys on their roster. I don't think it's a cakewalk for the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be quite honest with you. And Tyler Hundley, as Eric Wood pointed out to me on – my other podcast, he said, he's a pro bowler. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was a pro bowler once. Yeah. But, but, but what he pointed out is right. He said, he'll get the game plan for the whole week. He'll get all the reps. That's different mm-hmm. than just being the backup and coming in off the bench. Mm-hmm. Like he, he'll be prepared to play the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And of course, he's going to, he's going to want to play well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he had games last year where he was effective. Like it is not unheard of for him to go in and and play for this team. Like he has gotten, because Lamar has had some injury problems the last couple of years, he has had some serious work for them. So I am not writing off the Ravens whatsoever. No, I think that of the games, the bills need to get some help in. I think they're more likely to get it in the Titans game than they are in the Ravens Steelers game. But Honestly, that's more of like a hunch than it is from just like a strictly football standpoint. I just kind of feel like maybe Derrick Henry's last game with the Titans, probably. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins has some big incentives that he's probably wanting to hit. Ryan Tannehill sure. is likely playing for his future in the NFL as a backup. Do we know is, is, is it Tannehill or is it Tannehill? Now? I, Do we know? I, I think it's go- I think it's probably going to be Tannehill. Okay. I can I'll look it up right now. But I just yeah, I think that if you're Sal, are you familiar with the emotional hedge? You know what that of means? Course. Yeah, sure. Okay. If you emotionally, I, mean, well, well, I think I think I know what the emotional hedge is. I might be wrong, right? The like, emotional hedge would be betting it, against, you know. So yeah, if, right. If, so if you, you, you put you put your money on something to make you feel better, even though emotionally it would it would destroy you. Yes, exactly. So it's like even if your team loses, you are financially gaining because yes. you know you bet on the other team. So I was curious, what would it be if you bet? The Steelers to win, which would obviously be bad for the Bills. The Jags to win, obviously be bad for the Bills. And the Dolphins to win, which would be the worst case scenario for the Bills. That means they miss the playoffs. It's about, depending on the sports book that you look at, between like plus 450 and plus 500. So the odds of all of those three things happening are not astronomical, but they're also not low. Like the Vegas odds tell you it is unlikely that all of those things ultimately happen. And for the Bills, you just hope the thing that happened, of course you want to win, but I think odds-wise, it's probably a better chance that one of those games goes your way than neither of them goes your way. Especially Week 18 is one of the hardest ones to predict. It is a weird, weird league, and it feels like the weirdest stuff happens at the end of the season. All right, so 
by the time you and I talk again on, a, on this podcast, we will know the fate of the 2023 Buffalo Bills as far as if they're in the postseason, out of the postseason, and even who their opponent's going to be. So here are the four teams they can possibly play if they get the two seed. All right. You rank them in order of how much you think you'd rather see that team over the other. Like, yeah, that's okay. the best matchup for the Bills. You ready? Here are the four yes. teams they can play. Then we know. Stop. <laughs> Sorry. Help me out if you think that if you notice I got something wrong. The four teams okay. they can play. Jaguars, Steelers, Texans, Colts. Yes, those are the teams. Okay. Rank them. And am I starting with who I would want to play most or least? Most. Colts. Colts one. Hmm. Colts one. Steelers two. Jags three. Texans four. I think the Texans of all of those teams might scare me the most. Just because I think I like CJ Stroud more than I like Trevor Lawrence, which is mind-boggling for me to even say. But I think CJ Stroud has been so good for that team. And I don't know, for some reason, they just feel like they could go and make a little bit of noise. So that's how I would I would say, though, the Colts and the Steelers are kind of in a category of their own of like, you would feel pretty comfortable if you had to beat either of those teams. I know it's the NFL. I know it's the playoffs. Wow. But then the then I think there would be a little bit of a step down and then it's the other guys. So, so Mason Rudolph doesn't what he's doing for the Pittsburgh Steelers doesn't move the needle much for you. I know that it's about so much more than a quarterback, but whenever I get to these conversations, so much of me reverts back to the quarterback. And this is the same thing I would say about the Cleveland Browns. It's the same thing I would say about some of these teams that do not have the whole Joe Flacco is elite conversation. If you get to the playoffs and are playing a team that has Mason Rudolph, Joe Flacco, or Gardner Minshew and cannot beat them, you do not deserve to win, and you do not deserve right. to try and compete for a Super Bowl. For as good as their defenses are, you can simply not lose to that guy. If I told you in August the Bills could potentially play a playoff game against Gardner Minshew, you would have thought I was out of my mind. But that's just the way the season is played. I agree with you except for one thing. So I, I, I like the Colts one for you, like you said. I think I would also say Pittsburgh two. I think I would. I would go Texans three. I love CJ Stroud as much as you do. I think he's phenomenal, but I don't know if they're quite ready. Like the Jaguars would be the one that I least want to play. They've been here before they've been to the playoffs and they beat the bills earlier this year. And Doug Peterson's been there and Josh Allen on the other side and Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. I mean, I would have, I'd be more afraid of that than I think I would the Texans, but I do think the Texans are, they, they could just stun you right because of what CJ Stroud can do. But I also don't think their overall roster would be comparable for me. Isn't there something to be said, though, about if the Jags are the team that comes comes here, that would mean that they lose, right? Their last game, and they would be the wild card team? Yes. Right? So that would mean they have lost five of six. And here's this one. This is even crazier. They would have lost five of six, and the five losses would have all been with Trevor Lawrence. And the one mm. win would have been with their backup. Yeah. So no, I, I hear you. Talk, I hear you. But you know, I still talk about. Be, I think they'd be more dangerous to me. I get I, it though. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and I understand too. From just a strictly, they've got talent. They've got playmakers. They've got Trevor Lawrence, who I think is a good quarterback. I think back to the London game though. It felt like the Bills did almost everything wrong in that game, 
and still had a chance to win at the end and let it slip away. I think if you gave them another, you know, chance at it, they should absolutely be able to win. I think the range of, you know, if you wanted to look at spread, I don't want to, I don't even want to get to that point because who knows? We got to see how this plays out. Okay. The season could be done on Sunday night. So, all right. So let me ask you the other question that if the bills do wind up making it though, as the six or seven, Uh um, what's the better matchup for them to go back to Miami the next week or to go to Kansas city, go back to Miami next week, Mr. Miami, you're going to see this. I don't think that if the bills lose to Miami, they could lose two games in a row. I think it would I think it would be scary. I think if they won this game and there was some sort of situation where Miami could come back to Buffalo next week, I think that would be a really dangerous matchup, but that couldn't happen. So for me, I think that if you were going to have to pick one of those things, I think you sign up to go to the place where there's warm weather, a team that's banged up, a team that's probably still a little bit banged up and avoid Patrick Mahomes for as bad as they have looked. I still don't love the idea of having to go and play Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. 100% agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Do you That'd think be the- better matchup i think do you think they get any help do you think one of those games goes their way or do you think that it's absolutely win and in or miss the playoffs completely i do i just don't know which one i think one of them's gonna happen i could see a scenario either either way and anyway actually going you know not even none of them nothing going their way but I, I think one of them will i just it's the way the nfl is the nature of the beast 2004 the bills played the steelers backups Steelers beat them, kept them out of the playoffs, essentially, right? I mean, these things happen sometimes in the NFL. So I could see the Do Titans feel- winning. They, they want to win. They want to spoil their rival season. Yeah. Do you think nobody, no fan would sign up for this? And the team wouldn't either. But do you think it, they're more focused and more dangerous if they know that it's win or go home? Like, do you feel like their chances change at all? If they're no, they're in, or if they know they would be out with a loss, do you think it changes anything? No, I don't. I, I think that if they are, if they, if, if something happens Saturday or Sunday afternoon, yes, they can breathe a sigh of relief. I think this team really wants to defend their three-time AFC East Division Championship. I think they want to win this game and be home. They know how important it is to be home for the playoffs for two straight rounds if they can. So I don't think sure. that matters. But there could be a, there could be a little bit of a sigh of relief. Maybe you let your guard down a little bit. I get it. I think this team is focused on it doesn't matter. We are there to win a championship. That's what matters. It's not about being in the playoffs at this point. It's about winning a championship, a division championship, and being at home. Yeah, it's just the margin for error and the hole that they dug themselves in is just so scary because you know what could ultimately happen. You know that if you go and have a bad game, then your season could be done, and it could be locker clean-out day on Monday. And I think it's so weird because if this if we were talking about a team that we thought was just going to get into the playoffs and eventually lose, I think the conversation probably feels a little bit different, but I truly do believe that if they get into the playoffs they could go on a run. Like I really do think they could oh, be yeah. especially if they end up being in the number 2 seed, I I would think that there's a really good chance they end up playing in the AFC Championship game. And then at that point who knows what's going to happen. So that's why I think it's even more heightened because it's not this is not the year where they got in in 2019 and the expectation was to try and win a playoff game and then see what happens. This is a, you get into the playoffs because you think you actually can compete for a Super Bowl, And that's yeah. why I think the stakes are that much higher. All right. So before we let everybody go, the bills could obviously go to Miami two weeks in a row. Like if things fall that way, it can wind up happening. We are recording this on January 3rd, 2024. 
31 years to the day of the greatest uh-huh. comeback in NFL history, which I still refer to it like that because even though the Minnesota Vikings technically did win it, beat that record last year with the amount of points they came back on the Colts, this game was a playoff game. It was so meaningful. Obviously, it helped get the Bills to their third straight Super Bowl 31 years ago today. But what a lot of people don't know about that game, Matt, it was a rematch from the previous week. Yes. The Bills went to Houston in the finale. And I think the Bills, if I remember right, I could be wrong about this. I think they might have had to win to try and win the division and something else had to fall their way. Um, Houston was in a wild card, I think. I, I don't know if they could have gotten out, but they had to win for some other reason. I don't know. Either way, the point is, it's kind of a similar setup in a little bit. In that game, the Bills lost 27-3 to to Houston. They come mm-hmm. back home. They're up, They're down 35-3. to Matt, before the comeback, before the greatest comeback, sorry. Before the greatest comeback in NFL history, the Bills were trailing the Houston Oilers 62 to 6 over three quarter over six quarters of play. That's amazing. And then they still ended up coming back and getting the win. That's a I think that do you have a good comeback story at all? Do you were you do you, were you there or do you I was not there? It was one of only it was one of only two playoff games through the Super Bowl era I did not go to. Um, like a lot of people, the game was not a sellout, uh, in, yeah. at least not in time for the blackout. And people say, how could you not sell it out? Look, there were like 80,000 seats in the stadium at the time. It's a lot. Not that that's mm-hmm. an excuse, but Bills had just gone to two Super Bowls. And we were a little spoiled. And it was like, yeah, it's a wild card. It's not a great year. You don't want to be there if they lose. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already seen them be. So I don't know. That's part of the reason. So me and my buddies, we went to a sports bar to watch the game. And I remember we were going to leave at halftime. We decided to play a little darts, see how it went. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Kenny Davis scored. We started watching a little more. And then you get really dialed into the game. And everything happened the way it happened. My so I know people are going to listen to this and they're going to roll their eyes because there's probably 250,000 people who are at that game, even though the stadium only sits. Uh, I admitted I was not, though. You did. You did. My dad was there. He had season tickets from 85 to 97. And he said the only reason that they stayed was because I guess at the time, I don't even know if you can do this now. You could bring like thermoses, you could bring your own stuff into games at that point. Okay. And they brought, you know, their thermoses full of coffee and a little bit of extra into the game and they had to finish it. So it was the half and they were still not done. So they're like, well, we're going to sit here and we've got this warm stuff. So we're just going to keep on going until we run out and then we're ultimately going to leave. And then he said so many people left and then they were trying to climb their way back into the stadium. Yes, they were. I think he said he used to say that that was the second best game he's well, he said it was the best game he had ever been to, but the most fun game was the AFC Championship, the fifty-one right. to three. He said that was that as good as it, he said that was as good as it gets to you know be at a game as a fan. Hundred percent, forty-one to three at halftime. You knew they were going to their first ever Super Bowl. Uh, That's it, so it was, crazy. It was, it was the greatest. That's so it was, crazy. It was, it was the greatest. It was great being there. I was a senior in high school, sitting in the first okay. row of the upper deck. So I mean, that was cool to be there for that day. Yeah, for sure. The only other game I didn't go to playoff game in that whole Super Bowl era was actually against the Raiders, but it was the other Raiders game, like the coldest game in that stadium's history. When the Bills were down late, they came back and it was an onside kick that Steve Tasker returned for a touchdown. It was wild, a wild game. And the Bills squeaked it out like 29, 22 or something like that. It was weird 23, 22, whatever the score was. That was the only other one. Otherwise, even as a high schooler and college student at Syracuse. I went to all those playoff games and it was a, a great atmosphere. And now here we are again with a lot of, you know, playoff games at this stadium recently, uh, several, I should say, and maybe more on the way this year. We'll see, I guess. Do you have a favorite Dolphins game that you've been to over the years or one that stands out? 
I would say first Super Bowl year, yeah. 40, 44, 34 in the snow the week before the AFC championship game, the bills. Oh, so that was the, the divisional round divisional round 1990. Yes. I'm sorry. 1990 bills have a game at home, Marino and Kelly. It's dry, pretty much green turf for the first half. Second half is all snow on the field, all white. Yet it was 78 points scored, 44-34 Bills. That's really cool. That's really cool. I'm trying to think of like in the recent. So I've this is my ninth season covering the team. I mean, so last year's think, was great. The Saturday night. I guess yeah, I was going to say that's probably the one. Was Kyle's last game against the Dolphins Kyle Williams? It was, wasn't it? Uh, no, I think it was the Jets the following year. They played the Dolphins in Miami. Did they play Miami the following year in Buffalo to end the year? Maybe. I feel like they did, and Josh kind of lost his mind. That would have been 2018, and that would have been the game where Josh Allen and Zay Jones had like a bunch of touchdowns together. It was. It was 42-17. to 17. Josh yep. Allen finished the day 17 of 26 for 224 and three touchdowns and then had 95 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. So just a casual five touchdown day as a rookie. Uh, that was one of the ones that I think of because I think of Kyle Williams kind of like going around the entire perimeter of the stadium with fans. And I had a camera right in front of him. Yeah, followed yep, him yep. literally all the way around. But yeah, no, the game last year was really, really fun. And I would imagine that this Sunday's game is going to be pretty cool. Regardless of what happens, I think it is very cool and very indicative of how far this team has come that. They start the season on Monday Night Football on the big stage against the New York Jets in maybe the most anticipated, you know, one of the most anticipated games of the entire NFL season. And now they're the team that plays in the actual last game of the regular season, game 270. I think that's really, really cool. It's, it's very cool. Seven night games this year, counting Sunday night. Matt Bove, WKBW TV Channel 7. You can find all of his coverage there in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, WGR Sports Radio 550. And of course, Everywhere here, as far as the podcast is concerned, hopefully it's not the last one of the year for the, you know, in, to but hopefully next time we're not just wrapping up the season, I guess, the next yeah. time we talk. You know, whenever that is, though, you can always download, subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pod, and, of course, on the Sal Sports Video YouTube channel. Can I real quick PSA to anybody yeah. who's listening? First off, thank you for listening. Yeah. Sal will be going down with the team to Miami. <sighs> I am going down Saturday morning, and I will be trying to interview some fans probably Lauderdale Beach area, late morning, early afternoon. So if you are in that area and you see oh. a guy with a camera, I, I know that right by elbow room. So you just go to elbow <laughs> room. You'll, you'll, you'll have a million of them. There's no shortage of people who are going to be down there. I am trying to go and knock that out and send stuff back for you know the newscast in Buffalo. Did you see the story that we had at WKBW.com today about the ticket sales with Vivid Seats? Did you see that no. at all? They are predicting that more than 50% of the fans in attendance are going to be Bills fans. And they think that that wow. number is going to continue to climb. Their, their, numbers, their numbers right now, because they can geotag where the secondary ticket market sales have come from, indicate that 52% yep. of the tickets have been sold to people in Western New York. It's amazing. Uh, by the way, my buddy Christian Kramer, singer here in Buffalo, said he's going to be performing at Elbow Room on Saturday evening. So go over there and you can be a part of that and check him out. You can... Uh, and say hi and uh, listen to some great music. Also, real quick apology from me. You guys have been hearing me coughing a little bit. I had a bad respiratory infection a while back. It's kind of snuck up on me again, so I'm, I'm, I'm taking care. I apologize on the audio for anybody hearing that. And you, Matt, and Mike Robbie, mm -hmm. our producer, I've been trying to do my best to get through it today. So thanks for That's why you didn't see me down at practice today, by the way, as well. I just want to get, do don't you, get any you have the, 
You have those cube things, the soup things that what? you were eating. The, oh, like, the broth. broth. I'll have to, to do that. I'll have to do that again. I was gonna say. Yeah, but I don't have be... like it's not sinuses though. It's just a little cough in the respiratory area. It's weird. Okay, yeah. Just you get know? better. Like, yeah, thanks. I got it. Anyway, I apologize for you to you everybody on that and listen to that. And I I thank everybody for dealing with that. All right. Thanks to Mike Robbie, our producer, and uh, we'll talk to you next time here. And it's always game day in Buffalo.